I didn't know what to expect because it was like this foreign land, this like almost forbidden land that you weren't allowed to go to. And you're like, I'm going. And that's pretty much why we went. We were like, this is like such a timeless place. We need to get there. This is Go, a podcast about travel, places, and adventure. On today's episode, we're going back to Cuba to explore a little city called Trinidad. So we talked to our Casa Particular in Havana, and they set up a colectivo. That's video blogger Shayla Hoheisel. And a colectivo is like a shared Uber of Cuba. So you just pay for your seat. Like I explained in the last Cuba episode, a Casa Particular is basically like an Airbnb. You can even book one on Airbnb.com. We'll have a link on our website for $40 off an Airbnb stay for first-time users. These casas are run by local Cubans, who are a great source of information. They were all very willing to help. My first host gave me a basic rundown for what I could expect to pay for, for things like coffee and for long taxi rides to places like Trinidad. You can even ask them to book the ride for you. So I think that that costs $25 a seat. $25 to $30 is a standard taxi fare from Havana to Trinidad. These rates usually match the price of the bus fare, but you'll arrive a lot quicker. The taxi ride should be around five hours long, but be prepared for an interesting trip. Your driver may stop at a rest station. That's vlogger John Barr. You might remember him from our last Cuba episode. Two hours into the trip, the guy just pulls over to the side of the road. He's like, okay, guys, go to the bathroom. We pull over to the side of the road and three guys line up in a row to pee. The car I rode in had no seatbelts and you had to adjust the windows by pulling or pushing on the glass by hand. And you're lucky if you stop at a real gas station. So instead of going to a gas station, the guy pulls over at his house and his dad comes out with a like a gallon of, uh, of gasoline and literally they're just pouring the gasoline in, into his car right next to his house. I had a similar experience getting to Trinidad as John, but once you're there, you'll know why it's worth the hassle. That was our favorite spot that we went. All the buildings were different colors, which is like so cool. And the streets were cobblestone and there's like horses as a real means of transportation. I always heard the horses. I always heard people yelling outside. It was it, like nothing you'll ever experience in the United States, no way. Trinidad was once known as the largest sugar producer in the world. At its peak in 1827, 56 sugar mills were in full operation. Founded in the year 1514 by Diego Velasquez, its cobblestone streets and historic buildings are hundreds of years old. Today, the city center is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. There are a lot of things to do here, like taking a horseback riding tour through the sugar mills, where you can squeeze the juice right out of the sugar cane yourself. and drink it with a little rum. I think it was definitely the sounds, of course, of just like hearing um, animals all the time running around on the streets. And then you had people uh, like hawking things whenever you were walking by. 
the butchers chopping meat as you walked by. There was always food being sold. It, it seemed like every little house had something they were trying to sell. So you couldn't walk a few feet without just being surrounded by something completely different. Yeah, just walking down the streets is so cool. I just, I really love the buildings. And then you'd, you'd walk into like the churro stand or the, like there'd be a little market with a bunch of trinkets. Staying at a Casa Particular is your key to getting the Cuban food experience. Each one that I stayed at offered breakfast and dinner. You can always get uh, breakfast at the Casa Particular. It's $5. And it is like, you will be stuffed if you finish everything that they give you. It is coffee and milk and juice and water. And then you'd sit down and there was already like, like an entire plate of fruit and bread. And then they would come with an omelet. Some ham and cheese is a staple of Cuba. I always got a different type of pork every morning. I think it was like sausage links, ham, bacon. It was always something different with the pork. I think I ate pork for 11 straight days in the morning and I, I never ever eat pork. That's one thing I remember about breakfast. And you're like, I cannot finish this all. Like way more food than you should ever eat for breakfast. But it's so good. Like the cooking is, it's cool because you're in their home and they're like making breakfast for you. You'll find ham is an option in almost every dish in Cuba, in spaghetti, in sandwiches, burgers, and even salad. Beef is uncommon and a little more expensive, but there's a reason for this. You see, the government owns all of the cattle in Cuba. The cows that you come across on someone's property are simply being cared for by the locals. This practice was common among all former communist countries, like the Soviet Union, Poland, and East Germany. One local told me that Cubans face a harsher punishment for illegally killing a cow than for killing another Cuban because illegally killing a cow is considered a crime against the government. Pigs aren't controlled or regulated by the Cuban government, so there's a lot more pork to go around. One unique thing about Trinidad is Club Ayala. It's a huge three-story tall cave that's been converted into a nightclub. It's hard to find, especially at night, because it's located uphill at the highest point of the city. But if you ask a local, you can figure it out. Shayla told me about a time that she went there. We were like walking up this hill and I was like, where are we going? Like there weren't very many people, like all of Cuba is very poorly lit. So I was like, this can't be the right road. I don't know what's happening. And then like all of a sudden there's like somebody out on their porch with like disco lights and music and drinks. And they're asking if you wanna, oh, what? the name of that drink. Canchanchara. That's Alejandro Avila, a bartender I met in Trinidad. Yes, Canchanchara. <laughs> that was like my favorite to say mostly, but it was also very delicious. Alejandro explained to me the ingredients used to make this special drink. Miel. Honey. Limon. Lemon. Yellow. Ice. Aguadiente. This is an anise-flavored liquor made out of sugar cane. And soda water. If you don't have aguardiente, Cuban rum is a good alternative. They're served in these round clay cups, also called a cancanchara. You're going to have to walk through a residential area on a dirt road to get to this club, where you'll find a lot of locals bartending on their porches. Like it's just like this little homemade business for all the people on their way up to the cave. So you're like porch hopping on your way up this road and you're confused about exactly where you're headed. And then all of a sudden, 
you get up to the top of the hill and there's a giant line of people and you're like, where did these people even come from? And they're all in line for the cave. And then you get into the cave and you go down. It's like a normal cave that you would like go tour during the day. You go down and it opens up, but then it's nighttime and there's like TVs on the wall and there's a DJ like 20 feet up in the cave and three different bars and a bathroom and like so many people and it was so cool. It was really amazing. I've never been in anything like that. Cover charges five kook, which is a Cuban convertible peso and comes with a free drink. John also went to the club and had an interesting experience on his way back home. The strangest thing that ever happened to me at night, and feel free to edit this out of the interview if you want, because I don't know what type of uh, podcast it is, but uh, I was walking back by myself and uh, it was late, it must have been midnight, and in front of me, maybe like 50 feet ahead, I saw what looked like two women, and they were looking at me. I'm like, this is kind of strange. Something's off about this. And I started to walk, and then they approached me, and I realized one was like a, a, a transvestite, and she reaches out her hand. She's like, in Spanish, you coming with me? I'm like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. And then she just laughed and like walked away. I'm like, what the heck? Like, I never thought I would see that in Trinidad. That was the strangest, weirdest thing that ever happened to me. I really didn't think there'd be anything like that there, of all places in the world, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, one strange thing about Cuba in general is that they have two different currencies. There's the kook and the coop. And the kook is the tourist currency. Like, there's literally two different bills, I'm sure you saw. And then there's the coop, which is what the locals pay. The Cuban convertible peso, called kook, is technically valued at one-to-one with the U.S. dollar, before you take exchange fees into account. Like Shayla said, this currency is meant for tourists. The other currency, the peso nacional, is called the coop and 25 coop are worth about as much as one kook, but it can vary depending on who you ask. Local Cubans are paid in coop, and if you find a cafeteria for locals, you can get food there for really cheap if you pay in that currency. It's almost like their version of fast food. You like step up to the window, order your food, and then you're out. Most of them are run through a window of someone's home. Different places sell different things like sandwiches and juice and even pizza. I feel like it was like 10 coop, which is what? 50 cents or something or somewhere near that. And it's a little personal pan pizza. It was something that was total street food that people would be like, ugh, and we loved it. We were like, we need more of that pizza because the crust was like fluffy and, but the paste was like bright pink. (laughs) You're like, I'm not sure about this and the cheese, but we just kept getting it because it was so cheap, but it it was delicious. One thing you have to experience in Trinidad is the beach at Playa Ancon. The water there is warm and really clear, and Cubans approach you offering you drinks and cocktails. The beach is about a five-coop cab ride from the center of Trinidad and takes about 15 minutes to get there, which I'd recommend doing instead of walking or going there by bike. Shayla actually has a story about that. Our host was like, oh, you want to go to Playa Ancon? And we were like, yeah. And he was like, oh, then you totally need to rent a bike. They gave us, I call them circus bikes. Like the wheels were the size of a pizza. And it was just, you're just (laughs) pumping away to not get very far at all. And it was like 
a 12-mile bike ride. And my friend was just like, okay, Shelly, you need to stop complaining. I'm just going to get us a taxi to bring us the rest of the way to the beach. And she did. And he drove us to the beach. And he didn't even charge us for the ride. I must have been like so grumpy that he was like, look, girl, here you go. <laughs> have a nice day. But the beach, Blancon, was super, super beautiful. countries lack standard services like healthcare, a decent education system, and a consistent food supply. But none of these are true about Cuba. A 2014 report by the World Bank found that Cuba has the best education system in Latin America. Students at all levels can go to school here for free, all the way up to a PhD. Cuba spends 13% of its national budget on education, the highest in the world. And the youth literacy rate is close to zero. The education is free, which is cool. So everybody can be very educated within their system. Although they can be very educated, they are still lacking in a lot of things. Everybody had everything that they needed and nothing more. That's it. All students receive free lunch and uniforms. University students get free housing and a small monthly stipend. This encourages a lot of Cubans to stay in school, Overall, the country is really well-educated, and they have a lot of doctors. Their healthcare system is better than any in Latin America. They have the region's lowest infant mortality rate and the longest life expectancies. Best part about it is it's all free. One of the houses we were at, her dad had just got his leg amputated. Like in any other country that I've been in, like I was just in Nicaragua. If someone needed their leg amputated, it would be a very bad situation because that is an expensive procedure. But in Cuba, it was like, no, he needed his leg amputated, so that's what they did. I mean, even coming from the States, that's amazing. You're like, what? He just got the surgery and that's that? Like, it just doesn't cost anything. Although free education and health care are great benefits for Cuban citizens, there is a drawback. They were very much like, yeah, teachers and doctors, they do it because they love it, and that's why they don't get paid. Being a teacher or a doctor doesn't really guarantee a good-paying job. For example, since the Cuban government controls every aspect of the healthcare system, they determine how much a healthcare worker can get paid. The most a doctor can earn is around $67 a month. And there are no private medical practices either, at least no legal ones. So a lot of doctors have to work second jobs or leave the medical field altogether. And other professions can easily make more money, like being a tour guide. And even being a street musician can make more money than a doctor in Cuba. In the last Cuba episode, I spoke about the internet situation, but someone reached out and thought we should go into a little bit more detail, like advice on mobile apps. Here's Shayla again. I tried downloading Google Maps, but when I got there, I was like, no, this doesn't work, and now you can't download anything. The App Store for Apple or Android phones doesn't work in Cuba, and a lot of downloadable content won't work either. So make sure to download all of your apps and eBooks before arriving. And the best way to find your way around Cuba with a map is through an app called Maps.me. So Maps.me, basically you can download an area so that you can use it for navigation and like, like normal, basically. This is the best map I've found to work for navigating without internet. 
And like I mentioned in the last Cuba episode, using the internet requires waiting in line at a kiosk to buy a Wi-Fi card. But there's another option. There was always those kids that were like, oh, you need a card? You need a Wi-Fi card? And they'd sell it to you for like $3 an hour. And towards the end, it was almost like worth the convenience because finding a place that sold it, waiting in line, getting it all, you're like, ugh. And there are a limited number of places where you can get access to Wi-Fi. It can be a hassle getting connected, so be prepared to go all day without internet. But there are some benefits to being disconnected. When you're with someone, you're not texting someone else or like cruising through Instagram or whatever. You're like with them, drinking coffee with them, talking to them, just very present, which is pretty cool. And when you made plans, you had to stick to them. You had to be accountable. It wasn't like, oh, I'm tired. I'm not going to go. Or like, oh, we, we kind of are running late, so we're just going to skip it. It was like, Wah. you you kind of like automatically gave yourself a 30-minute window or 15 to 30 minutes of like, well, I'm going to wait for them because they said they'd be here. That's something that's still unique about Cuban culture that you won't find anywhere else. Even though a lot of Cubans have smartphones, they're not consistently distracted by them because of how hard it is to come across internet. And although Cuba might seem poor, and by many standards it is, you won't run into many people asking you for money or going hungry. I was literally in Nicaragua the week before. And in Nicaragua, you have a lot of children on the streets selling gum, selling sunglasses, just begging for money, telling you they're hungry. Not one child asked me for money or tried to sell me anything, I didn't see any begging or anything like that there. Now, you won't see any kids trying to sell you anything, but you'll see a lot of adults trying to sell you things and even overcharge you for things like cab fares and food. So it's a good idea to know a little bit of Spanish before you go. At least knowing some basic Spanish, knowing you know how to count to 100 so you could at least know how much money you're dealing with, you know, basic thank you, you know, where's the bathroom, where is the bank, uh, you know, very basic things. I, I found uh, most Cubans are pretty patient if you tried to speak to them. I, I think that you'd be doing yourself a real disservice to go to Cuba and not speak a word of Spanish. It's going to be, you know, pretty difficult. One of the most common questions people ask me is, how did you go to Cuba? Don't you need permission to go? The answer to that is yes and no. So a little bit of background first. The U.S. embargo against Cuba restricted certain commerce and business transactions. Technically, the embargo is still in place, but there are a lot more exceptions to the rules now. I was like very nervous about it. And everyone who has contacted me is like, how did you do that? Well, there's now 12 reasons that grant you permission to travel there. But the first thing you need to know is that Cuba doesn't care about any of these reasons. They want U.S. travelers to visit and spend money on their economy. The only ones who really require permission for you to go to Cuba are the U.S. Department of the Treasury. These permissions are very broad, and I won't get into all of them, but some of them range from family visits to U.S. government business. The most common one I've heard used is the support for the Cuban people reason, which is very broad. You'll only have to deal with these 12 reasons twice. Once when you buy your plane ticket to Cuba online, and the second time when you return to the U.S. through customs. Now, when I returned, the customs agent didn't ask me anything. He just stamped my passport and let me through. So it's pretty lax. 
We've covered most of the travel basics in our two Cuba episodes. There are a few more things you need to know, and we'll be covering them in our next podcast. We're going to release an episode called The Cuba Quick Guide, where we sum up all the points we've made about traveling to Cuba in one short episode. We'll even add tips like where to buy cigars and what to pack before you go. Thank you, Sheila and John, for being part of this episode. You can find links to their travel vlogs on our site at gothepodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you're getting your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram to see our photos. I'm your host, Alex Walensky. Thanks for listening to Go The Travel Podcast. Thank you.